uh, this this morning. Hey, um, I, I kind of figured that because um, I actually haven't spoken at a morning service that I, I'd, I'd share for 30 seconds just really, really briefly about my story and a little bit about who I am just to fill everybody in who doesn't actually uh, know me um, as, as yet. Uh, guys, I did actually originally grow up in, in, in Queensland. <laughs> Eight in a row, wasn't it, Hearts? Eight, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but when I was in Queensland, I was actually, in high school, I was actually a state champion sprinter. Thank you, Musos. Great job. Thank you. Give the Musos a hand, hey? And um, grew up as a state champion sprinter, um, qualified for the World Juniors when I was in year 12. Um, but towards the end of high school, I, I got hit with an incurable disease uh, called ulcerative colitis, which is uh, very similar to Crohn's disease. Uh, the doctors placed me on a disability pension and told me I'd never be able to uh, run, let alone work. So I lived like that, basically shut up at home for like five years. And then at 22, uh, I got a revelation of uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, where it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. I, I was so inspired by, by that verse that I uh, took the $2 that I had that was left over from the disability pension that week, um, built a youth centre in, in, in Queensland, uh, one Young Australian of the Year in 1998, and then schools, companies, uh, football teams uh, started asking me to come in and share my story. I'm at a point in my life where i got to tell you honestly, I actually feel like I'm living my dream. Uh, in, in terms of high schools, I now speak around about 500 high schools around the world. I'm averaging about 150 flights a year. I speak about 100,000 teenagers. A lot of the big boys' schools, big GPS schools in Sydney, uh, get me in especially to work with their first 15 rugby teams, coach on mental toughness and discipline. I had a school in Melbourne recently fly me down for one hour to work with eight of their rowers before a major regatta they had coming up. All the athletic squads, swimming squads, uh, prefect committees, uh, leadership groups, uh, gridiron teams in America, rugby academies in New Zealand, uh, equestrian teams in Victoria. Uh, the National Rugby League, uh, the NRL, have hired me in for the last three years to come around a program based upon one of my books called uh, Men of Honour. Uh, try and change a culture with the next five years. <laughs> uh, pray for me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> actually, you know what? You knew the real reason I actually wrote this book is because um, <laughs> I have three daughters. <laughs> and um, the deal is that my girls are quite young at the moment. The deal is that when the boys do eventually come knocking, I'm going to be standing at the door <coughs> with this book. <laughs> I'm going to hand them the book, <laughs> tell them to go fill in a 500-page report on the book, <laughs> sign the oath in the back of the book with their blood saying that they'll be honourable men, <laughs> and then I'm going to have to come back and take my daughter. <laughs> that's actually the plan. That's how it's going to go. That's actually the plan. Hey, um, listen, I just want to tell you really quickly um, about my latest book. Um, my latest book is actually a, a children's book. Are called Gifted for Greatness. And the reason why I wrote this is because I work with so many teenagers who don't actually know that they've got a gift. So I want to try and instill it in, in young people, helping them realise, you know, there's, I, I designed it on my second daughter, um, Eden. And um, it's amazing because in one, it's, it's, in a, it's just a little poem, you know. Um, I've, there, there are gifts locked up inside of me. I can't wait to unwrap them and see what I could be. An athlete, a dancer, a doctor, a chef. I'll work on my gifts till I have nothing left. So three or four stanzas like that. And in one of the pictures, we've got a girl playing the violin. My, my daughter saw it, and now she's playing the violin. 
It's amazing just to put, you know, dreams on the inside of our young people is really, really um, important. Fill them with hope, yeah? Um, I also want to let you know I um, ha- have a vision for the future um, and Hartley really um, spoke about it briefly. But my vision is, um, actually, before I give you that vision, let me give you one more piece of background, ready? I get lots of emails from, from people all across the world, but these are the ones I love receiving the most. This girl writes to me on Facebook. I got permission for the latest edition of my first book. Uh, she says this. This is a little bit about what I'm talking about here today. She said, um, early this year, I had a very severe episode of depression in which I was twice admitted to hospital. While staying there, my dad came and gave me a book. At the time, I was having a lot of difficulty with concentration and accepted only out of politeness. But when I began to read it, I actually just couldn't put it down. I finished within a couple of days of the new realization I had a bright and hopeful future. Then she says, this is after reading the book, I met a girl in my ward. We started having a chat and she told me her deep desire to end her life. She was convinced she's not going to live past 16. I told her about your book and how much it impacted me, and I offered it to her that night. She said she didn't put it down until morning. Next one I saw her, she put her arms around me. That book just saved my, 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 my life. So um, as a result, bless God, as a result of receiving five, ten emails like that a week, I have a vision for the future, and all that I ask for not laugh to my face. <laughs> I'd much fear laugh behind my back. Is, is that okay? Um, my dream is that by the year 2020, uh, we will actually see an end uh, to teen suicide <laughs> in the nation of Australia. Um, my goal is um, my goal is to see an end to depression and eating disorders because I can't bear to see another young girl fight this filthy thing. My goal is to see an end to addiction and destroying so many young people's lives. And my goal also is to see, this is why I run these father, son and parenting seminars, I want to see a restoring of the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. And, and, and can, be honest, can I be honest? If I don't make this happen by the year 2020, then my goal is to make it happen by the year 2030. <laughs> and if not then, then the year 2050. And honestly, if I'm dead and buried and this thing still doesn't come to pass, then I'm actually hoping that I have the opportunity to stir up enough other people that someone else will pick up the baton and see this dream become a reality. Because um, cause, cause truth is, I may not get all the way. But you know what? What if I get close? I want to talk to you today about hope. Is, is, is that okay? So we're just going to come around the word, so let's just uh, pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, the entrance of your word bringeth forth light. And I pray, Heavenly Father, this word that I speak here this morning will bring forth light, will bring hope, will bring illumination, bring faith on the, in, on the inside of every single person gathered here in this place. I pray, Lord God, that hope would resonate in our hearts. And after all is said and done, hope will remain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, Colossians 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, verse 27, uh, says this. To them, God willed. He chose to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This is a mystery. I'm about to unlock to you a mystery. Ready? This mystery is among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. My goodness, this is revolutionary. Truthfully, this mystery is revolutionary in and of itself. Because basically it's saying that God is not just out there or up here. God is actually in here. 
And if Christ is in you, then you have hope. Imagine if we could start a revolution of hope in our communities, in our families, in our businesses, and in our schools. Imagine if that could actually happen. See, my grand ambition for you today is not that you would just leave with, with, with hope on the inside of you, but it would overflow and that you would actually leave this place and actually become a carrier, a cha- an agent, a trafficker of hope. Now, um, I'm going to just read you another scripture, then we're going to get into this. Is that okay? I just need to kind of lay the framework uh, for this before I give you some sugar. Is, is that all right? So um, allow me to bore you for just a few minutes. <laughs> But um, once I pull this all together, it'll get all really exciting in here in a moment. Is that, is that cool? Uh, Romans 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13 uh, says this. I love this scripture. It's like my life verse, right? It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in a world today where there is actually little joy and even less peace. Depression in our society is epidemic. And we live such busy lifestyles that that, that we have no room for peace. Can can I be honest with you? Like, have you ever asked somebody um, how they're going and their automatic response is busy? (laughs) It's almost like become our default. Can I be honest with you? I never tell my kids that I'm busy. I never tell my wife that I'm busy. Because if I keep telling my kids that I'm busy, then what's going to happen is when they have something really important to say to me, they're just going to think, oh, Dad's too busy. I'm just going to go somewhere else. We, 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 we need to focus on being productive and efficient, but don't focus on being busy. And do you know one of the reasons why you feel so busy or why you feel like your life is so hectic? is because you're always in a hurry. Take time for some Selah moments and pregnant pauses. We can just rest in Him. So how do we become filled with joy and peace? How we become filled with joy and peace is we hold on to hope. Hope is an essential part of the human condition. Without it, we will wither and perish. My hope is that you will face every problem, every difficulty with hope in your heart. The Air Force recruits are trained to survive. And they have this uh, dictum drilled into them so they can always know what their priorities and how to manage their needs. And they memorize these rules of survival. These are the rules of survival, ready? Um, Whenever they're dropped into a situation, they know what their instant priority is. You can live uh, three months, uh, only three months, without love and companionship. Three weeks without food. Three days without water. Three hours without shelter in extreme conditions. Three minutes without air. And three seconds without hope. Most people die in praying crashes when they could have survived because they lose hope. They become immobilised by fear and get stuck and refuse to move. Do you know that when... I'm on 150 flights a year, so I've done a little bit of study on plane crashes, right? (laughs) Um, and you know what they've found? That you've got 90 seconds to get out of that plane. Once, and most people can actually survive plane crashes. The, the ones that don't get stuck in a moment. And they don't, the situation just looks different to them. 
And they haven't got this hope on the inside of them, this will, this desire to survive. And when we connect to God, we actually should live and see the world completely differently. So when loss, tribulation, challenge enters your world, you can actually fill it with anxiety or fear, or you can fill that opening, that space with hope. And if you fill it with hope, then you're actually able to come up with a creative solution to bring about real change. Hope gives us energy, it causes us uh, to move forward. In fact, how's the climate in your home? The emotional climate in your home or in your connect group or even in your business place for, 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 for that matter. Do you know that people naturally mimic the expressions and moods of people around about them? Studies have shown that it only takes one person in a group of five to infect the rest of the group with a negative or positive mood. Research has also shown that this is even more prominent for leaders because of their respected status. And it only takes seven minutes for a leader's mood or a parent's mood to start to affect people around about them. Seven minutes. Seven minutes. And mood, um, a mood can change. So I've got to ask you, what kind, are you leaving an afterglow or are you leaving an aftermath? What is literally the emotional wake that is following you? In Psalm 23, it says this, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of your life. Here's my question to you. What's actually following you? (laughs) Is goodness and mercy, when you leave a room, have you left goodness and mercy behind? Have you left a hopeful climate? What kind of emotional wake are you actually leaving behind you? As Christians, like it's in that first verse in Colossians, if Christ is in us, we should have hope. I want you to live with hope wrapped up on the inside of you. But as, as you'd be aware, there are actually challenges to hope. There are things that actually get in our way and rob hope from us. I'm going to talk to you here this morning about the four challenges of hope. You may want to get this down because my hope is that when you leave here and I identify these four challenges, you won't let these, these challenges steal your hope from you any longer. Number one. Ready, number one. The first challenge uh, to hope um, is, of course, this. Ready, number one. This may seem obvious, but we do need to discuss it. Ready? Number one um, is, of course, can I, oh, thanks. Number one um, is, of course, uh, people. <laughs> now, there are two types of people that are going to try and steal your hope from you. Ready? N- number one, and this may sound a little bit alarming to some of you, but we do really need to discuss it, okay? <laughs> the first one is, is, is of course, uh, people that love you. <laughs> Who am I talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about your partner, I'm talking about your parents, I'm talking about your brothers and sisters, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents, your best friends. I'm actually talking about people who actually, genuinely love you. I'm not saying they don't love you, I'm not saying they don't deeply care, I'm saying they do love you and they do care, but you better be aware that even these people attempt to do your dream. How will it happen? It usually happens something like this, right? You you go home and you kind of share maybe a vision that God's put on the inside of you with your partner, with your spouse, with with your best friend about what God has told you. And and you you know what they'll do? That that big audacious dream that you have to actually really really bring about change to your community, what they'll do? They'll look at you knowingly. They go, oh, honey, that's wonderful. That's great. I'm really happy you've got a dream and a vision for your life. That's great. But listen, honey, you know that's all well and good, but listen, baby, hey... I just don't want you to get your... 
Apparently you've heard that before. <laughs> you, you, you know the number one reason why I actually came here today? <laughs> then I'm wondering if you actually wrote a book called Get Your Hopes Up? Because my goal here today is to actually get your hopes up. <laughs> and, and, and you know why? <laughs> And you know why? Because I did some research. Do you know why so many people in, on, our pla- on our planet commit suicide? Because they actually lose hope. Do you know why so many people actually give up on their dreams? Because they actually lose hope. I don't want you to ever lose hope. In fact, as for me, I would actually rather die hopeful than die hopeless. All the way to the end, I want you to live with hope. Does, uh, does that make sense? I had a guy come up to me, I won't tell her that, but I, I spoke to this massive group of students. I was just about to step down off the stage and he met me at the steps. Mad as hell, right? Mad. I couldn't believe how mad this guy was. Shook his finger in my face and he said this. He said, Glenn, I think what you do is cruel. Why? He said, you can't go around giving all these people hope. You can't go around telling them that they can achieve their dreams and do the... That's cruel. I said, why is it cruel? He said, because Glenn, what happens when they fail? I was like, give me a break. What happens if they succeed? And I'm sorry, but I get far too many emails, like 50 a week, from people all across the planet telling their views, principles, like this, to actually go out, pursue their dream. That I made a deal with them and said, listen, once the emails stop coming, I'll stop speaking. But I know giving people hope empowers them to do things they never thought was possible. Yeah. And can I deal with this failure thing, just once and for all? Is, is that okay? Seriously? Seriously? When you fail, okay? Not if. But when. You know when you don't, when your dream doesn't come to pass and everything just looks bad? Here's what I want you to do, ready? And I pray that this advice I give you will actually haunt you for the rest of your life. You ready? Seriously, when you fail, just do this. Ready, just do this. Pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and try again. But, but, but Glenn, what, what if I fail twice? What if I go after my dream and I fall flat on my face twice? What would you advise me to do then? Well, you know what? If you give your dream two decent attempts and you still fail, then fair enough, right? My advice completely change. It'd definitely be something more like this, right? Pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and try again. So give them at three or four or 15 or 100 or 300. Hey, listen, I don't care how many times it gets. If you fail 300 times, then just do this. Ready? Pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and try again. Why? Because you don't ever give up on your dream. You don't ever quit. You don't ever surrender. Because if you believe it's your God-given purpose, then you actually never stop. Do you understand? For those of you who missed that, what I basically said was this. I just then gave each and every one of you permission to fail. I did not give any of you permission to quit. Listen, I'll come back to this failure you think in a second. Let me give you the second part of this, right? second type of person to try and steal your dream is, of course, people that don't love you. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about your 2,000 friends on Facebook. <laughs> I'm talking about the people who don't even genuinely like you. Now listen, can, can I help you out here? Can I just, uh, this will stop you from being a victim and help you become a victor. Ready? Here's what I want you to do. If somebody writes something negative about you on your Facebook wall, right? Someone writes something, a negative comment, here's what I want you to do. Immediately, don't read the whole comment. Or don't read it more than once. Even if it looks slightly negative, even if it looks slightly negative, just do this. Ready? Just do this. <laughs> Delete the post. (laughs) Don't write back and be some sort of keyboard warrior. (laughs) Delete the post. Then go to the bottom of that person's page. Bottom of that person's page, it says this. Ready? Block this user. You don't even give people a second chance. Oh, you forgive them, you let it go. If you saw that person in the street, you would nod, you would smile, you would be polite. But you don't allow those people in your inner circle. Does that make sense? 
see this number here, that number there? If you have that many real friends your whole entire life, I'm actually talking about actual, genuine people whom you can share your hopes and dreams with and they will not criticize you or judge you. If you have that many real friends, you're doing well above average. <laughs> can I be honest with you? Seriously, I know this sounds a little bit countercultural because this generation isn't used to hearing this. Here's the honest truth. Ready? Honestly? <laughs> not everyone's opinion actually matters. <laughs> now listen, I didn't say they didn't matter, just not necessarily their opinion. Does that, does that make sense? Now let, let me get back to this value thing. Ready? Really quickly. In the film Batman Begins... Batman's father says to him, he says, why do we fall? The only reason why you fall is you can learn to get back up again. If you never learn to fall down, you'd actually never learn to get back up. You know my three-year-old daughter, Willow? Wouldn't I be incredibly cruel dad, seriously? Wouldn't I be incredibly cruel dad if when she was first learning to walk and she <laughs> fell over for the first time? Wouldn't I be a cruel dad if I said this to her? Listen, Willow, you failed. I don't you ever try that again. <laughs> we all know that sounds stupid, right? <laughs> Do you know what I said to her? I said, this is, listen, well, honey, if this is going to take you 100 attempts to get right, your daddy wants you to know that's okay. Honey, if this is going to take you 1,000 attempts, I could care less. But if you're going to need 10,000 or 100,000 attempts to get this right, I don't mind. You know why, honey? Because I know if you keep trying, I know one day you're going to be able to walk. Can you please explain to me, why is it okay for me to give my daughter permission to fail? But why have so many adults actually stopped giving teenagers permission to fail? You know what's even worse? Why have you stopped giving yourself permission to fail? Fail is a part of the process. If you never learn to fall down, you'd actually never learn to get back up. The Bible says that a righteous man falls down seven times, but he actually gets back up again. Jeff Bezos, the um, president and founder of Amazon.com, he said something, I love this, ready? He said this, he said, if you decide you're only going to do the stuff that's going to work, then you're going to leave a lot of opportunity on the table. You know, some of you are leaving so many opportunities on the table because you only do the stuff that works. But guess where all the competition is? On the stuff that works. Guess where there's no, no competition, there's a wide open space. On the stuff that people think won't work. But you're so afraid of failing, you don't want to pick any of that stuff up. Listen, written on the Facebook walls and the Facebook offices is this, ready? <laughs> Move fast and break things. Now, again, that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because you know what we got told growing up? We got told this, didn't we? <laughs> Go slowly, don't touch anything. <laughs> but if you want to be a success in today's high-speed technocratic society, you've got to be unafraid to move fast and break things. Listen, there is this really old computer game. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it before, but it was one of the highest-selling computer games of its day. No one really seems to play it anymore, but it's called, um, it's called um, Angry Birds. Anyone ever heard of it before? <laughs> Angry Birds was started by a Finnish company in Finland. It was a 50-second game they had created. Can anybody in this room name any one of their first 51 creations? No, you couldn't because they're all dismal failures. Can I be honest with you? Seriously? If you had 52 goes at something, you'd probably create something world-class as well. But to be honest, most of us don't have a second attempt, let alone a third or a fourth, right? <laughs> you fail once, and that's it for you, right? You get, teenagers, you get one bad mark in one assignment and you're ready to drop the subject. Oh, sorry, was that too close? So just getting rough in here. Rough in here. Listen, second thing, right? The second thing will try and steal your dream is, of course, this. Ready? Life. Guys, life. Now, I've got a news flash for you. I don't know why Hartley asked me to come and say this. Maybe I, I drew the short straw. I don't know. I've, I've, um, but anyway, it is some b- bad news. It is a bit bitter pill to swallow, but it in fact make you feel better. Okay? 
and I know many of you always suspected this, so I'm going to present, present it as a ubiquitous truth, right? It's this, ready? Here we go. Life is unfair <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> no, Hartley didn't ask me to come and say this, I'm joking, right? But isn't that true? Life's unfair. So, it was unfair I got an incurable disease. Life's unfair like that. You know what I've also learned? I've learned this, ready? Life's unfair. Sometimes to your disadvantage and then sometimes to your... You know, when I was in primary school, I was the only brown kid in all-white primary school. I got caught heaps of names, colour of my skin. That was actually a really tough time for me. But now when a 14-year-old boy comes up to me and tells me he's been bullied, I now have the compassion to sit down with him and talk him through it. Do you know I never would have got the compassion had I not experienced it myself? Do you know when I was 15 and my parents got divorced? That was actually a really tough time for me. But now when a 17-year-old girl comes up to me, tears crying, telling me her parents are split up and she doesn't know who she's going to live with, I now have the compassion and the empathy to sit down with her and if need be, cry with her because I actually know what that feels like. You know all this stuff I'm doing with the NRL? Fox Sports did this series, like a little television show, a little documentary telling the players. I show my dad, right? They tell me a teaser of the show. So I looked at him on Fox Sports. On these, my dad's reaction was, seeing his son Fox Sports, ready? <laughs> this, hmm. You know, in, in my whole entire life, my father has never told me that he's proud of me. No matter what I've done. But my four kids, <laughs> they get to hear it every single day. <laughs> Life's unfair, hey. Sometimes you're disadvantaged, but then sometimes you're... Sometimes the way that you got raised, you now know that's not the way it's supposed to be. You now have an opportunity to change things. The thing that was meant to destroy you actually does make you stronger. Listen, um, you know, hope is actually made up of um, two things, ready? It's a twin combination of belief and expectation. Belief and expectation. Listen, I'm going to say something to you, but let me just kind of um, say it and then I'll make it seem really relevant to you. Ready? Here's, here's the deal, ready? <laughs> you have to believe in yourself. But, but can I go one step further? Can I say this? Ready? <laughs> Sometimes you can't go by what you see. Sometimes you have to be led <laughs> by what you believe. <laughs> For those who have been really smart here, you'd have noticed something, right? I'm actually not trying to talk you into anything. You know why? Because if I can talk you into something, somebody else can just come up here and talk you out of it. If you think that's what I came here to do, you've completely missed the point. I'm here to help you realise something you've always known. Some of you always suspected greatness. Some of you always suspected destiny. Some of you always suspected your life has a role to play. You know what? It actually really does. And to be honest, I can stand up here till I'm blue in the face and tell you that I believe in you, but if you don't believe in yourself, it's not going to mean a thing. And some of you, when I said you have to believe in yourself, some, some of the theologians go, hang on a second, aren't we supposed to believe in God? Yes, absolutely. But you're also supposed to believe in yourself. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why Peter, Peter, listen, Peter's on a boat, right? The storm is raging. Jesus is walking on water, as you do, right? He's walking on the water, but Peter doesn't recognize him. So Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come. Peter, Jesus says, come. On one word from God, Peter gets out of the boat and does what is seemingly impossible. But then Peter begins to sink. And most theologians think, well, the reason why Peter sank is because he stopped believing in Jesus. And, but... Jesus was right in front of him, walking on water. You know why Peter sank? Not because he didn't believe in Jesus, but because he didn't believe in himself, that he could be like Jesus. You know the thing about Joseph? Joseph in the technicolor dream coat, right? You know the thing about Joseph? If Joseph actually wore his coat, 
Most people don't wear the coat that God's given you because you're a little bit embarrassed by it. God has bestowed greatness on you, but you're embarrassed by it. You know the other thing about Joseph is that Joseph actually believed his dream. That's what separated him from his brothers. His brothers would have had dreams, but Joseph actually believed his dream could actually come to pass. The toughest thing I have is getting people to actually... I can get you to have a dream, but to actually believe it can happen. I started talking about ending youth suicide, and most people just laughed at me. But now, as I've started to get into it, started research, it's actually happened before. In Detroit, they achieved zero suicide in one year because people got behind and did, did something. But I never would have found that out had I not just believed in the dream that God had given me. You've got, you got to get in the game. As imperfect as your game is, you have to get in the game. Because it's only when you're in, your ga- in the game that you can actually um, change your strategy and do something that will actually eventually work. But most of you are waiting for all, all the circumstances to be complete. No, just get in the game. God blesses what you do. Whatever you do shall prosper. If you don't do anything, how's God going to prosper it? We're waiting. I, I've never waited for all the conditions to be right, for me to get it, get it all, all set. I, I have a bias towards action. I just execute. And while I'm in it, I, I find out, wow, we could actually do this. Okay, listen, I, I grew up in the 80s, right? So I'm not going to apologise for that right now. <laughs> but can I tell you there was one good thing happened in the 1980s, probably the greatest philosopher of all time. You guys are probably not familiar with this great man, but I'll urge you, if you ever have a chance to read any of this great man's works or see any of the things he's been involved in, I'd really encourage you to do that. That great philosopher that really impacted my life as a young boy growing up was a gentleman by the name of... Rocky Balboa. <laughs> Listen, I don't know if you've seen any of the Rocky films. Anyone ever seen a Rocky film? <laughs> Listen, Rocky Six, right? Rocky Six. Rocky is having some problems with his son. So he calls his son out of the restaurant and he says this. So glad I have a son. One day I'll be able to have this conversation with him, right? So this is, yo, hey. Kumu, kumu, kumu. Let me tell you something you already know. Life ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place out there. And it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. The door is done. The ability to pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and keep, you know what? Life is going to throw us as curveballs, right? He's going to keep going. But we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Because we have hope of Christ on the inside of us. He lives in us. He breathes in us. Listen, very quickly. Girls, can I just say one thing, just to help you out, girls? Listen carefully. Um, If you're going to go through hell, then you better come back learning something. If you're going to go through a bad experience, please learn. In in other words, please don't keep dating the same kind of guy before you learn something. 
please, girls, please don't be surprised if you keep experiencing the same level of pain, same level of disappointment if you keep making the same choices. Or in other words, please don't keep wandering around the wilderness for 40 years before you realise that your journey to your promised land should have only taken you 11 days. Listen, girls, I'm going to say something to you right now that you're not going to get for a little while, so just follow away in your memory bank. Ready? Seriously? Um, is this ready? Um, <laughs> if you're dating a guy, girls, if, if, you're, if you're dating a guy who has a 30-year mortgage, right? He has a five-year car lease and he also has a lifetime gym membership. <laughs> if he has all of those commitments and then if he turns around and says to you, oh, babe, 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 no pressure, can't you tell? I, 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 I'm afraid of commitment. <laughs> to the left, to the left, right? <laughs> Don't, don't worry, you'll get it later. Just file one in memory bank, it'll, you'll, get, get, you'll get it later, right? Okay, um, listen, r- write this down and go share it with somebody, right? Write this down and go share it with somebody. Um, <laughs> you have to have more dreams than memories. You have to have more dreams than memories. L- let me explain it to like this, ready? Um, if I was in a car, if I was in a car, and if I kept doing this, can you please tell me what would happen? What would happen? I would. Crash. Guess what? A lot of people crashing out in their 40s, 50s and 60s. You know why? Because they have more memories than they do. No? No? Okay. <laughs> Alright, let me give it to you like this then. Ready? You know what? Next time you're in the passenger seat with somebody, do this. Ready? Next time you're in the passenger seat, do this. Slide in the passenger seat. Don't say words to them. Just give them a wink. Just wink at them. And do this. Say, hey, listen, do you know there's a reason why the windscreen is actually bigger than the rear view mirror? Don't worry, you'll get that later too. Okay. Third thing, ready? Number three, number three. Um, third thing that will try and steal your hope is time. Time will steal your hope. Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in a prison, right? On his 20th year in prison, his daughter for the first time is allowed to come and visit him. He hasn't seen his daughter in 20 years. She, when she last saw him, she was this little girl. He was beaten out in the front of the house and she was carrying a rag doll. Now she's all grown up. You can read about his book, Long Walk to Freedom. He said these hands that, that for literally 20 years I only held picks and shovels now felt the soft, smooth grin of my granddaughter. So it was such an incredible moment. But, but then, but then um, the daughter interrupts him and says, Daddy, Daddy, because <laughs> the reason why they brought the child to prison was because in their culture the grandfather got to name the child. So listen, Daddy, well, what, what should we name her? And you expect him to be a little bit bitter. His son died while he was in prison. He wasn't around to go and bury his son. Expect him to be bitter and angry, right? When he said, he said, name her, name her. <laughs> this is our way. Which means hope. I may not get out of here alive, but I pray that hope gets passed to another generation. 27 years. <laughs> but he waited. For those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings on an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. Don't you ever let um, time still hope from you. In 1968, Mexico City Olympic Games, this guy comes running out. Um, well, he's two hours behind. They close down the stadium. This guy comes in. They shower, change the refreshment, then do something that blows them on. They organize a press conference for this loser, two and a half hours late, this young Tanzanian man. So he wants to interview him. But to my surprise, press room is jam-packed, full of reporters, full of cameramen, and one reporter's brave enough to ask a question on everybody's lips. Ready? Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Just got one question for him, then we'll leave you alone. So we can't work out what you just did. You see, in our westernized culture, we actually have a lot of good starters. We don't have a lot of good finishers. 
Can you please explain to me why in the world didn't you quit? Why in the world didn't you give up and surrender? You when no one noticed you. You were out in the middle of the night practicing, rehearsing, training, praying. No one even cared about you. Why in the world kept you going? This young Tanzanian man, he stands to his feet. He looks through Paul in the eye. He says this. He says, hey, listen, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. <laughs> they sent me here to finish. You were not put on this planet to start a race. You were put here to finish one. Do you know that having a destiny actually implies you have a destination to reach? And you will never reach that destination without hope in your heart. That's why Paul could say in 2 Timothy 4.7, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Last thing, right? Last thing will try and steal your dream. This is, of course, this. Ready? <laughs> you. How do you steal your own dream? Number one, through self-doubt and negativity. You just refuse to believe. And number two, through laziness. And I don't know what to do with a lazy person. Because it's not like you go up to a lazy person and say this. Hey, 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 hey. Stop doing... Nothing. <laughs> don't just say, we're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything right either. Do something. Move. Breathe on a mirror. Let me know that you're alive. Do something. I don't care. Because God blesses what we do, right? Hey, listen, very, very quickly as I come to a close. Guys, um, can I just say this? Um, I want to do one thing before I close, and th- that is this. I know after hearing a message like this, um, something on the inside of you resonated. And so what I want to do is this. If the musos could um, just come, that would be nice. Um, you might have heard about this Christ that I speak about, but you, you've heard about him, but you don't really know, you don't have a personal relationship with him. Oh, you've got religion, but you don't have a personal relationship. I want to lead you in a prayer that invites Jesus in your heart, where you're going to have a personal, you can really get to know that this Christ, this man that has brought hope to countless billions of people across this planet. I want to introduce you to him this morning. So you think you just came here this morning. No, God orchestrated the circumstance for you to be here so you can connect with him. Some of you feel disconnected from Christ in your heart. You once were following him, but you, 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 you went down your own path and you kind of backslid in your heart and you started to lose hope. I, I, I want the God of hope to get that restored in you here this morning. Second, or third group, if you were to die today, you don't know whether you'd make it to heaven. Some people think it's morbid talking about death. But seriously, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you want. you're going to be alive. So we actually need to talk about, about it some more. You've got to get this thing right. And that's what Christ gives us, hope in our heart, no matter what we go through. See, the Bible says all things work together for good for those who love God. It doesn't say all things are good, but it says all things work together for good. Because you've got hope in you, you've got Jesus living on the inside of you. I never would have come out of my predicament unless I had Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. If you fall into one of those three categories, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand. I'm going to, in this one, I'm going to ask everyone, everyone can just close your eyes all across the auditorium. And on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. And on the count of four, and on the count of five, and on the count of two, and on the count of three. How you know that you need to do this? Your head and your heart are having a battle. Your head is saying no, but your heart is saying yes. That's Jesus knocking on the doorway of your heart. You feel his overwhelming presence on you. So if you fall into one of those three categories, on the count of three, just flip, flip up your hand. Let's get this right at the start of this year, right? We're in March. Let's get this right. Here we go. One, two, three. Awesome. All across this auditorium. 
that's you, just raise it. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else across this auditorium? We'll raise your hand and join this person in this prayer very, very quickly. Jesus, Jesus. Anybody else? Fantastic. That's beautiful. Awesome. Hey, guys, um, what we're going to do, if everyone can just look up here for a minute. Hey, um, guys, what I'm going to do in just a second is I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. That gentleman that raised his hand. Um, would you mind if I prayed for you um, just out the, out the front? Guys, can we just all stand? And if you could just come, sir, quickly. Come with your friend. That, that, that's all. Give this guy a hand, hey, as he comes down the front. That's awesome. Awesome. Come, 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 come. Awesome. Hey, fam. How are you, man? What's your name? John. Hey, nice to meet you. Fantastic. Hey, um, church, can we pray for John? Is, is that okay? Um, John, if you could repeat this prayer after me. It's a prayer that invites Jesus in your heart. Here we go. Church, let's do this with him. Ready? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I open the doorway of my heart and ask you to come in. Take over my life and fill it with hope. I pledge to serve you all the days of my life in your house. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, give John a hand, hey? Awesome. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Fantastic. Hey, God, church, can I just play a quick prayer? <laughs> a quick prayer, uh, very quickly. So you can just lift up your hands before um, Pastor Hartley comes out. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for each and every person in this place. I pray, Lord God, that this message of hope will continue to resonate in their hearts, Lord God, over the coming days, over the coming months, over the coming years, Lord God, that you would anoint this service here tonight, Lord God, where people recognize hope in their heart afresh. It was renewed. It was stirred up again. I pray, Lord God, that the God of hope will fill each and every person in this room with joy and peace, so they may abound in hope, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand, hey? Fantastic. Wonderful. Can we give God a round of applause for just a stunning morning? Thank you, Glenn. Wow. Who found that helpful? What a great thing to hear in life, just to have that. Just deep in us, in Christ, we can have this great hope. And I really believe that there'll be people here.